You know, I've long believed that regret is the strongest of all emotions. It's an emotion that you feel with just uttermost intensity. If you think back at some of the biggest mistakes of your life, you might find yourself even saying, if I had only known, like if I had only known if I took one more drink that I would get in an accident on the way home, or if I drove home that way, I would get in an accident. Or maybe you find yourself saying, if I had only known that the relationship was going to fall apart when I said that, then I wouldn't have said it. If I had only known that this new job was going to be such a nightmare, then I never would have applied in the first place. Regret. Well, today, as a church, as we continue in our study of the book of Luke in the Bible, Jesus is going to talk about that sort of regret, but he's going to go even deeper into a spiritual regret that many will one day feel. So let's, let's dive right into our passage. So everybody grab a Bible. There's a Bible on the chair in front of you. Grab it. We're going to be on page 717. Everybody be looking at something. So if you're not going to grab a Bible, many of you, I know, bring your Bible. Uh, grab a phone. You can use the Renovation Church app. Just have Bible, <clears throat> excuse me, and weekly verses. Now, before we start reading it, let me sort of remind you of the context. So last week, we actually jumped ahead in Luke just for a week so we could cover the Easter story on Easter. But now we're back uh, chronologically to where we left off uh, the week before Easter. So we're in Luke chapter 19. We were talking about a Palm Sunday where Jesus was riding into Jerusalem humbly on a donkey. Well, today's passage takes place the same afternoon. In fact, when Jesus speaks in our passage, he's still on the donkey. It's kind of like Palm Sunday part two. He hasn't even reached the gates of Jerusalem yet. So we're page 717. So if you look kind of in the bottom right of the page, you'll find a 41. That's verse 41. Uh, that's where we're going to start. <clears throat> it says this, as he, so we're talking about Jesus, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He says, if you had only known. Okay, so King Jesus is riding in on the donkey. Everyone's proclaiming him as the king. They're shouting, Hosanna. They're laying down the palm branches. And moments after that, the king of kings begins to weep. It doesn't say that he cries. It doesn't say that he sheds a tear. The word of God says that Jesus wept. He's crying freely and profusely. You just sort of imagine like a... He said, if you had only known. Now, before we begin to apply this to ourselves, I think we got to ask a really important question of the text. Why is it in this moment that the king of kings is weeping? Is he weeping because they're going to kill him in five days? You might think that, but that's not it. He's weeping for what the people of Jerusalem are going to suffer in the future, here on earth and in eternity. Now, if you still have it in front of you, uh, look at verse 43. 
you'll see from verse 43 onward, he begins talking and he's saying, the days are coming when enemies will come and destroy Jerusalem. In fact, he says, not one stone will be left on another. Now, what Jesus predicted literally happened in history. In fact, if you don't believe me, you can look it up on Wikipedia later. Uh, It's called the Siege of Jerusalem. So about 40 years or so after Jesus said these words, when many of those to whom he spoke these words were still alive, Jesus's words were actually fulfilled 40 years later. So in the year 70, that's 70 AD, the Romans decided that they were going to put down a Jewish revolt and rebellion, and the Romans attacked the city. But first, when they came, it was uh, a few days before Passover. Now, if you've been here the last month or so, we've been talking about Passover. The city of Jerusalem just swells enormously in size during Passover. So there are already a ton of people in town that weren't normally in town. And the Roman commander Titus, who actually in history eventually becomes a Roman emperor, encircled the city, just as Jesus predicted he would 40 years earlier, and he begins to starve it out for five months. And at this point, probably hundreds of thousands of people inside the city begin to die of famine because nobody can get in and nobody can get out. Then Titus built embankments, just like Jesus said he would, and the Romans get into the city and they completely level the city, not leaving one stone upon another, like Jesus said. Even the temple itself was lit on fire and eventually destroyed. Now, Josephus, who's a famous Jewish historian respected by scholars around the world today, was alive at that time, and he tells us that around 1.1 million people in the city of Jerusalem were killed in the year 70 AD. And Jesus predicted all these things would happen. In fact, the book of Luke that you're reading was written before this happened. It was disseminated and around before it happened. We say here all the time, the Bible is not a fairy tale. It is recording history of what Jesus did and what actually happened. Now, what's crazier yet, and I think perhaps more difficult for our modern minds to understand, is Jesus even tells us why it's going to happen. So look at verse 44. Verse 44 says this, They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because... So why is this going to happen? Why is Jerusalem going to be destroyed? You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Now, that seems intense, but I, I want you to think about this moment in history. Jesus is on earth. This is the most important time in all of human history. The maker of heaven and earth, the maker of us, has come to our planet. Right? He is walking among them. He is in their city. And not only do they not recognize him, They murder him on a cross. And in not recognizing God's coming, they're going to instead have to suffer the consequences of choosing sin. Sin always has consequences, both individually and collectively for a society. So instead of experiencing spiritual revival and joy like they should have in recognizing Jesus' coming, they experience destruction. But there's something that we have to catch 
about how Jesus is talking about this. Because 40 years before the destruction of Jerusalem, while Jesus is still riding on a donkey talking about this, he doesn't scream out judgment to the people of Jerusalem. He doesn't say, and you, and you, Jerusalem, you just wait. (laughs) You just wait, because you're going to get what you deserve. No, he weeps. He weeps. He says, if you had only known what would bring you peace. Listen, just because God is just, and we say that often here, that God is a just God. He's a holy God. Just because God is just doesn't mean that he delivers his justice with a wicked smile of vengeance. Like we would, as humans, that's what we think. Like, All right, I'm going to get you back. No, no, no. Jesus, on the donkey, is showing us something. This is so important. We get a look here. Theologically, this is really important if you're going to understand who God is. We get a look here at the face of God. And the face of God is saying, yes, judgment will come. It is real. But it is a face full of tears. And let me speak this morning, let me speak to two different, very different groups of people about this. Firstly, <clears throat> let me speak to the Christians in the room. Christians, in applying this passage of Scripture, we must ask ourselves, do we wear the face of Christ when it comes to how we look at people in our city that don't know God? And for too many of us, I think when we think of unbelievers, our faces aren't full of tears. There's really anything but that. In fact, what I want to do kind of quickly here in the next few minutes is I just want to give you three facial, facial expressions or dispositions that I see often nowadays in Christians that in no way reflect the facial expression or more importantly, the heart of Christ. And number one, for far too many of us, I think that our eyes are more likely to roll than they are to shed tears when we think about unbelievers in the year 2021. And church, I think this is a consequence of Christians just absolutely immersing themselves in political blogs, political radio, political TV, There's nothing wrong with politics. Politics have an important place in the world. But what I'm seeing is many, many Christians absolutely immersing themselves in this world. And the word of God is secondary in their life. It's something they do for like 60 seconds, three times a week while they drink their coffee. But then the rest of their day, they immerse themselves in the political world. And they listen to it all day. And what happens is you listen to these people is your heart is learning to hate those who think differently than you. And you're learning to roll your eyes at the so-called ignorance, the stupidity of those who may think politically different than you. And it is not the heart of Jesus Christ. 
especially as you look and you think about people that don't know him. They may even be wrong, but that is not the heart of Jesus Christ. Look, look at the passage. Jesus is looking to the future judgment of Jerusalem, and he's weeping, saying, if you had only known what would bring you peace, who is he talking to? He, he's talking about people, and they're not just people that he disagrees with, like the people that you and I, we roll our eyes at all the time nowadays. These are people that are going to murder him. I assure you that the ignorance and the foolishness of these people in Jerusalem is ten times worse than the people that so many of us with our friends and we talk about people today that we roll our eyes at. They murdered the Son of God. And for them, Jesus weeps and says, if you had only known. Is that your face when you think about those who don't know Christ, even if they're politically different than you? Let me give you a second face. Secondly, I, I, I see many Christians not with tears on their face for the lost for people who are approaching eternity without Christ. But instead, what I see in America is faces, Christian faces that are full of apathy and self-interest. American Christians today are so interested in themselves and their schedules and their kids' schedules and even their evening entertainment that unlike many of our predecessors in this country who were Christ followers, we don't really make a lot of time anymore. We have time for a lot of things, but we don't make time anymore to really build relationships with lost people. Our neighbors, our neighbors, many of which live 100 feet from us, they're continuing to walk towards an eternity, one that will never end, of suffering. We know, we know what could save them, but we waste our time every evening amusing ourselves with pointless information and entertainment. Our neighbors are drowning in the sea and we're watching TV. I just think, God, Lord Jesus, give us boldness. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fall on this church. Wake us up. I feel like one of my jobs is, as a teacher of God's word, to help you think about eternity. Because everybody else in this world is always pointing you to the, you know, your health and your mental health and all, all these things that are about your short life. Part of my main job is to help you think longer, bigger. I'll tell you what one of my prayers is lately in my life. One of my prayers is that there would be no neighbor in front of me in the line on Judgment Day. If you can picture a line of people getting ready to meet their maker. I pray that there is no neighbor in front of me in that line on Judgment Day that could turn around, look at my eyes, and say, if you had only told me. What will we say? I was busy. I had to get through another season on. What will we say? 
I'm no different than you. I, I, I look in my own neighborhood and I think, I, I haven't told them. I just pray that the Lord would break our hearts. Our faces would be off of ourselves and our own reputation and self-interest. And we would weep. Thirdly, instead of a face of tears for those who don't know Christ, nowadays what I see from American Christians so often is a face of disgust for those who don't know Christ. And I think this is happening because in today's world where morals in our society are ever evolving at a rather exponential pace, What's happening is, you know, this is a biblical truth and values. The culture in America is moving away from biblical truths and values and how we live our lives at an exponential pace. And you see this especially when it comes to things like sex or gender, relationships, marriage. It's changing. It's changing fast. And too often nowadays, what I see on the faces of Christians is disgust. It's not even a disgust for sin. It's an actual disgust of people themselves. And we talk as if we are morally superior to them. Meanwhile, our Jesus is looking at them, I guarantee you, in the same way he looked at the prostitutes in Scripture. And through his tears, he's looking at them, saying, if you had only known My friend, never look at somebody, no matter how morally out there they might feel to you, never look at somebody who doesn't know Jesus Christ with hate or disgust. They don't know. They don't know. How are they supposed to know without someone? How can they know without someone telling them, Romans 10 says? You're not any better. How do you know? The only reason you know is somebody told you about Jesus. And biblically, I absolutely guarantee you that your sin, if you were able to see your sin through the lens that God sees your sin, your sin is just as heinous and it is just as vile as the people that we look at and say, can you even believe what they're doing? It's the same. Because Jesus doesn't invent different categories for sin like we do. So we can feel better about ourselves. Your sin is significant, and yet Jesus Christ loves you, and he died in your place, and he offers you forgiveness. And he weeps that they would know too. If only they knew. But they don't know. Who will tell them? And I think we we carry these faces of eye rolls and apathy and disgust because we can't correctly see the future like Jesus could see the future. Like if you could look into the future like Jesus could when he sat on that donkey and you could see the future judgment of people, I guarantee you, you would weep like Jesus wept. We would weep for days. I mean, if we could see if God would even for one minute let you see your friend, your coworker, your family member, your neighbor in hell, 
suffering. In a suffering that will not end. Saying kind of like, you remember when we studied this in Luke 16 of the rich man who goes to hell. And he says, if only someone would come back from the dead and warn them about what's coming. If you could see it, you would weep. But we don't see it. We don't think about it. And that's our faces. We say that we're Christians, that we, we look like Christ. But our faces don't look like him. And so I just, I pray that we as a church, we begin to just, we look different. And then our faces look like Christ. That we reshape them. We just melt our hearts for the lost. Your one practical thing that you can do in this is you can just, you, you can come pray with us. We pray before every service, 15 minutes, in the meeting room right there. And one of the things we do every week is we pray for lost people that they would know Jesus. And when you pray, God begins to soften your heart. The prayer meeting is the engine room of the church. Pray with us. And then I also want to give you a challenge for today because I'm pretty sure you're going to be tempted with this before your day is even over. You're going to be in a conversation with someone and they're going to talk about the world out there because that's what we talk about. And they're going to talk about someone politically or what people are doing nowadays and they're going to start rolling their eyes and saying, can you believe And rather than just joining in the conversation, I want you to jump in and I want you to say, if only they knew Jesus. Because that's the heart of Christ. Now, I said I was going to speak to two people today, two different groups of people. So now I want to turn my attention just for a few minutes to those of you who have not fully surrendered your life to Jesus. You're not actually a Christian. You, You may be just kind of checking Jesus out again. You may be new to church or you may have been in church your entire life, but you've never actually let Jesus be the king of your life and fully surrender to him. I want you two to notice a few really interesting things from God's word today. Look again at the end of verse 42. This is what Jesus is saying through his tears. He's saying, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from you. What does he want you to know? He wants you to know peace. Now this isn't like a cheesy world peace or something. He wants you to know peace in your heart. And what I find really interesting is it's 2,000 years later and people are still looking for the exact same thing. They're trying to find peace. That's what the average person is doing out there in the world. Right? They're, they're looking for peace and contentment. So many people chase it in pleasure. Thinking, if I could just experience this, then I would finally get what I'm looking for. But they don't find it. And so they think, well, if I just took the next trip, if I could go on vacation here. But they don't find it. They think, well, what if if I get out of this relationship that I'm in? Maybe the next marriage will give me peace. But they don't find it. You know, many people then, they go on and they say, well, if I had a different job, or if I got promoted... And they experience a different workplace, and it's fine for a little while, but eventually they still can't find peace. They think, okay, well, if I make more money, and then I can use that money to get a better car, I get a bigger house, and I finally get a house with a couple levels and a walkout, then I could feel better than all of these other people around me, but they still don't find peace. 
And so then they try therapy and they try drugs and they try meditation and they try every book in the self-help section and they cannot find peace. And that's because there is only one who can give you peace and his name is Jesus Christ. Because as a human being, you were created to find peace only in Jesus. If you had only known what would bring you peace, and it's Jesus. For those of you, I know some of you might be your first week here, but those of you who've been kind of hanging out here uh, the last couple months since we opened this place up, you've seen a lot of people get baptized. And one of the things that you've probably noticed in their testimonies of how they became Christians and made a decision for Jesus is they'll talk about what happens afterwards. And one of the things that I, I'm hearing almost every single time is they're saying, and I found peace. And that doesn't mean that their life is now free from adversity or difficulty, but they finally found peace. And they say in their testimonies, they look for it everywhere. They look for it in the bar. They look for it in academic success. They look for it in relationships, but they only found it in Jesus. And the same is true for your life. I want you to notice something really interesting, something else really interesting about this passage. Jesus is saying, Jerusalem, if you had only known. Now think about this, though. Okay, if there's one city on the entire planet that should have recognized the time of God's coming, as verse 44 says, it should have been Jerusalem, right? I mean, he doesn't say Rome, if you had only known, or Athens, if you had only known. He says Jerusalem, if you had only known. This is the holy city of the Jews. It's where people came to worship. It's where they came to study the prophecies about the Messiah. And yet they didn't even really grasp what would bring them peace. So honestly, I think this is a passage for those of you that grew up in church. You're right in the midst of it. You've heard about Jesus for a long time. It's for those of you that are growing up in church right now. To every middle school and high school student in this service. And you come here with your parents. And your parents talk to you about Jesus. And you know about Jesus. But when you really think about your life, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. Where you know him and you talk to him. And he saved you. This passage is for those of you that you come with your spouse every week. And they're really passionate about Jesus. And you've always just been kind of neutral about Jesus. This passage is for you. And if any of those descriptions describe you, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is weeping over your soul this morning. Because you can know him right now. And it's been in front of you this whole time. And he's saying that you, even you, he says, the ones right in the midst of this, If you had only known. And he's saying, if you had only known, not just because he wants to he wants you to know him, he wants you to experience peace right here and now. He's saying, and if you don't let him save you, then destruction will also come upon you, even you. And you won't be able to plead to Jesus, but I always came to church with my parents. Or I always was in church with my family. And that destruction will start slowly in your heart. It'll start right here on earth. And I guarantee you, it'll only get worse as you live out your days without Christ as the leader of your life. 
And eventually that judgment, it culminates. Not just in a life on earth without Christ, but in an eternity without Christ. And if you do not turn your life over to Jesus at your judgment, he will be saying, if you had only known. If you had only known the terms of my peace. And the terms of his peace are not difficult. He doesn't say, okay, if you really want to get to heaven and know me, then you better turn your life around. He says, I died for you while you were still a sinner. I loved you so much. I didn't demand that you be good enough and then I would love you. I just loved you. I just loved you. If you had only known. This word is for those of you that have been sitting here hearing me talk about it for the last eight weeks. Maybe you've been thinking for a long time that I gotta, I gotta surrender. Surrender. And one of the reasons I would tell you to surrender to Jesus is because this today may be the time of God's coming to you. Today. I would say to all the young people in the room, you may fall away from God when you get to college. Many do. Many do. This may be the time of God's visitation to you where you can surrender to him. To the person who's coming here every week with a family member or whatever and your heart is just kind of towards Jesus, do not assume that you will just keep coming here. Let me tell you, as someone who's been a pastor for a long time now, chances are really high that you actually won't keep coming here. This moment right now may be the time of God's coming to you. Do not miss it. He's offering you the terms of peace. Do not miss it. In fact, as we often do, I want to give you an opportunity to say today, yeah, God, I believe I need you. It's as simple as saying, Jesus Christ, I believe you died on the cross in my place for my sins. And I want to make you the leader of my life. The absolute leader of my life. In doing that, he forgives you of all of your sins. He comes into your life and you can know his peace. And know him. And so if today is the day that you need to surrender, even if you've heard me talk about this a hundred times, and today is the day that you need to surrender. Surrender today. Accept his love and grace into your life today. In fact, I'm going to pray right now that you do that. Lord Jesus, I pray, God, just over everyone in this room, that they would know your truth. Lord, if there's anyone that you are ready to just make alive, to make into a new creation, I pray, Lord, that you awaken their hearts with faith to believe in you and your grace and your love. As I'm praying, if you're here and you need to invite Jesus to be the leader of your life, to believe that he died for you for the very first time, whether you're hearing this for the first time or the hundredth time, if that's you today and you need to make that decision today, what I want you to do is I just today, I just want you to raise your hand where you're at and just raise it up. You can do it at any time now. Would you just raise your hand and say, Jesus, yes, I need you today. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, amen.
Anyone else? I'll give you another five or ten. Yes, amen. I see you. Anyone else? All right. Okay. For those of you that raised your hand this morning, and just the gospel, the good news of Jesus is really just hitting your heart, and you're going, I got to surrender today. What I want is I want you to pray with me, because the Bible says when you get to this moment that we believe in our hearts, we confess with our mouths. So I'm just going to pray, and I want you to just repeat after me. This is not a magic prayer, but it's a prayer for you to just say what's happening in your life. You can pray for it if it's your very first time you're just believing, or you believe for a long time. Anyone who's a believer in Jesus, I want you to just repeat this after me. Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Amen. All right. For the number of you that raised your hands, before we get into our kind of last song of worship here, I need you to do just one thing for me. I believe this is the most important moment of your life, really. The most important decision of your life. Whenever you make a significant decision, that just requires information. Like, so, okay, so you did this, so what do you do next? And so in just a second, as our worship band comes on, I'm going to pray. And while, while I'm praying and everyone has their eyes closed, I want you to actually just sneak out of your row and out into the lobby for just a couple of minutes. I'm going to meet you out there. There'll be a couple of people from our follow-up team that will meet you out there. And we just want to give you some really important quick next steps of what you can do. But it's really important that we get this to you, okay? So no one will be looking at you. In fact, we have some members of our follow-up team. They're going to get up at the same time while I'm praying. There were a number of people that had their hands up. So there'll be a bunch of people walking. So it's not everybody. No one's even looking at you anyway. But I want you to head out there while I pray, and we'll get you some next steps, and then you can come back to your seat, okay? All right, so I'm going to pray, uh, and, and you can head out there. All right, ready to go. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you did in this service. We're just grateful, Jesus, uh, that you are always offering new life, that the terms of your peace are not hard. You did the hard work in dying for us on the cross. We're just so thankful for that, and we just praise you and you thank you for what you're doing in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. As we, as we go back into worship, let's just praise the Lord for what he's doing. That's just awesome. All right.